0: This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde.
1: Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m. You're on RallyCheck Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Uh, and remember, you can send us a text, 2057, email me, inbox at rallycheck.radio. Please do. We love hearing from you. You're going to love this next interview. I got an email. I'm a member of the Free Speech Union. You have to join up. Everyone should join up. Uh, this is the most important thing. To save human civilization, I say the greatest political threat is gender ideology. Uh, but uh, the threat to civilization is free speech, because if we can't talk, we can't think, we can't debate, and we'll become violent and uncivilized. So the Free Speech Union, everyone should be a member. And I get their emails, which I love. You know how you su- subscribe to some things and after a while you're not into the topic and you sort of start getting them and you stop reading them? The Free Speech Union ones, I guess because they value speech, always beautifully written and they always have a point. But the best email I got was from a gentleman called Dane Giroux. And it was in the form of an apology. And it was not an apology that says, oh, I'm sorry if I caused an offence or I'm sorry if I uh, um, upset you. No, this is a total apology. I got it wrong. I shouldn't have done this. And I was trying to remember the last time I have seen someone give a total, proper, full-throated apology. And I couldn't think of it. But it it was on a topic, while disgusting and tragic, is actually extremely important. And we're going to go through that and explore that today because it's this free speech union, free speech, violence, and the disgusting, despicable, horrible attack on Jewish people in Israel, men, women and children, innocent. And the amazing response to that, as people attempt to what's the word, minimize it, talk about it as it's understandable. And there's a sort of sense of anti Semitism running through it. And as Dane will explain, your first impulse might be to shut these people down. Dane, good morning. Good morning, Rodney. Thanks for having me. Well, I have to say you're, you, you were an actor. You were a guitarist, I believe.
0: Yeah. At at one, at one stage I was the guitarist first. And then uh, when my band broke up, uh, I thought, you know, it was just a catastrophe. And I, I, I wasn't going to put my um um I didn't want to put my fate in the hands of four other drunks basically. <laughs>
1: so, <laughs> one drunk is enough or one drunk
0: was enough. Yeah, so I decided no, I it's I have to find something creative where it, well, it, it the buck stops with me, you know. And so I became an actor, yeah.
1: And you also write.
0: I uh, well, an act, acting's a part-time job, which I learned very quickly. I I I trained and um and it was a fantastic training and uh, it was just amazing and it set me up for everything else I've done to be fair afterwards Goodness. but yes, yeah yes. but 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 I worked for you know a good 4 years pretty solidly but then started having children and so I had to settle down and went behind the scenes and was able to make a living you know writing documentary and and eventually comedy I got into
1: into comedy and all sorts of stuff so still writing I I I can sometimes be quite funny but I can't imagine being funny on demand, you know, as a job. I got huge respect for comedians because to be funny as a profession must be extraordinarily tough. You know, you get up in the morning, ah, oh, I got to write something funny. <laughs> well, yeah,
0: it, yeah, it, it is quite tough um, because it's it's very, I guess, probably like anything, you can you can find yourself skidding on ice a bit. Yeah. I I did a uh, a show called Find Me a Māori Bride, right? Yes. Wh- which was, you know, the title says it all, really. But um uh, that was for Māori TV, and it was a big hit for them, right? And uh, so that went well. And then we got the second season. So going into the second season, I was like, well, how am I going to renew this? How am I going yeah. to? And I work so hard just to make sure that all those – because the, the style that I like to write, to is that sort of machine gun – I'm a jokes guy, right? Okay. I, 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 like a lot of New Zealand stuff tends to be quirky, and, and the quirk is to hide the fact there aren't really many jokes. Yes. <laughs> but but we, we respond to jokes, you know, like people belly laugh at jokes, you know, mm. with, with a setup and a punchline. So mm. I, I'm a little bit of a throwback in a way. I, I like that style, you know. Um uh, the, but it can um, be very tough.
1: Very tough. I mean, imagine, you know, being Ricky Gervais, and, you know, the expectation for him to be funny or Rowan Atkinson or, and going back further, you know, John Cleese, the the, um, thing to be continually funny. I, comedy, I love comedy. I have never been to a live comedy show, but I love watching comedy shows online. And it gets to the point where you only have to see the comedian and I start laughing yeah I mean life, I just yeah. gotta look at Ricky Gervais. yeah, and I start laughing because mm. he's he uh, he just is something in my brain that I see Ricky and I think, oh, I've gotta laugh, I laugh, I laugh, you know he's funny. Um but oh my goodness, good for you. Well, wonderful. And in your setup for your email, you explain that you were a council member on the Free Speech Union. Thank you for that because as a writer, It must be extremely hard thinking, not only do I have to write jokes that don't give offense to anyone, and yeah, and that's a quickly moving feast, but you can also be condemned in the future. So things that we used to laugh at 10 years ago now are prohibited and are banned. And comedy, surprisingly has been the most attacked field, it seems to me. So comedians have been deplatformed left, right, and centre.
0: Well, yeah, there, there, there has been a lot of that. I, I think that, I mean, I'm just thinking of how to, how to come at this topic because there are so many sort of ways into it.
1: Yes, well, don't worry because it's just it's just I can understand the, the fit of being a comedy writer and understanding what free speech is and the need not to be running around cancelling people that, you know, if you get take offense, don't go, walk out, do whatever you like, but don't shut a person down because they're making a joke. You know, it's like Ricky Gervais; it's a joke. Well,
0: <laughs> well, 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 yeah, it's a joke. And, and that's what I often say to people when they are offended. I say, it's a joke. It's not real it's a joke that's the whole point but but you know to be fair uh, yes it affects comedians but the, the the issue with cancel culture and art more generally is that art cancel culture is about conformity right it's about we, you know, let's let's get rid of all the people that we disagree with on the on the fringes and the edges, or in, even in the mainstream. And let's get a uniformity to what we present here, right? Yes. So, but that's not art. I mean, you'd never have a Picasso if if it was all about uniformity. You wouldn't have progress. No. Which is sort no. of ironic too no. because these people call themselves progressives, but they're actually working to sort of make sure there is no progress. Unless it's sort of sanctioned,
1: which is the absolute opposite of progressivism. I spoke to a young boy who's a residential assistant at Massey University, and he'd started at university three or four years ago, and then with COVID and with an injury, he had you know lost some years, and then came back. And what he described was the dreariest place on earth where no one can speak without sort of checking the room, what they're allowed to say. And it sounded like you're in East Germany in the 1980s where you just, it's so grim faced. If you don't have that free speech, particularly as a young person at university, it's extraordinary. It, it just sounded terrible. Well, it's tiring as well. Like yes.
0: I know people in my, um, uh, literally tiring. Like I, I know people in my, um, industry who they'll contact me privately to say, good on you, mate, you know, cause I'm one of the guys that sticks, <laughs> sticks my head up a bit, you know, um, yes. above the trench. A- and, um, You know they'll be good on you, good on you, and I say, well, where are you? And they go, oh, I'm not ready yet. I'm, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm nearly there, and it's like we're all a bit like that. Yeah, well, true, and and so same way. I mean, it's not like I have these outrageous, controversial views. I'm not really. No, no,
1: no. You can just say a a a man is a man, and you're in trouble, right? But.
0: Well, that, that that's right. Well, well, even on on that issue, I get into. I've been in in trouble on that issue. My issue, my beliefs there are pretty much exactly the same as Georgina Byers, who I knew. Like yes. I knew her towards the end of her life, and and we'd have a lot of very long lunches. And you know, as you probably know, like she could really talk. Yes, I
1: danced with
0: her. Oh, of course, yeah. No, but no, so,
1: I love Georgina, and oh, I agree. I, I agree with you. She never thought of herself as a full woman. She was. She was a. She was a transvestite.
0: Well, well, well transsexual, she could say. Transsexual, yes, a- a- and and that's a term that's been retired, and and that yes. used to upset her. She'd say to me, "Why, why did they re- retire that that term?" That's what, yeah. You Know what I mean? That's what the way that she saw herself, but um, so I mean, even though, but that's considered, but she was she started to be considered controversial towards,
1: I know, the all the old, all the elderly transvestites or transsexuals have been deplatformed, and they it, saw this coming 20 years ago. These activists coming in with the yeah,
0: agenda, it, I mean, it, it's 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 a real shame what happened. There to her, but but back to the whole thing about it being tiring. It's like, uh, you know, these people in my industry who, um, you know, they're 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 on the social media and virtual signalling like crazy, thinking that that's what's going to get them work. Like, I mean, you can make that call, I guess, if you can, but Mm -hmm. if you if you, but I can't do that because I feel I do. Have something to say, not necessarily something controversial, but I want to make a statement with my art. I've got, yes. I've got things within me I want to express, and and I, and sometimes I do wonder. This is very ungenerous, but uh, you know, the people that are like, yeah, yeah, censorship, rah rah, maybe they just
1: don't feel they have much to share. Oh, I concur with that. <laughs> you know, maybe they're just, thinking- I, I, you know. Um, The people that want to pull down the tall poppies uh, are people who feel threatened. It is. It's mediocrity. It's a mediocrity. And um, you and I probably and listeners probably love a challenge and admire people who succeed, admire people who are better than us, feel lifted up uh, by um, people. But running in all of us, is an instinct for envy. Mm-hmm. That envy can quickly become a monster. And yeah. I think a lot of it is just envy. And yeah. gosh, it's... it's. But here's another thing, Dane. Mm-hmm. I should tell listeners, because some people come in, I'm talking to Dane Giroux, who's a actor, writer, guitarist, was a council member of the Free Speech Union, but there's something else that we need to cover. You you describe yourself as a member of the Jewish community. Yes. Now let me first up say, and if I upset listeners so be it. I'm a 100% supporter of the state of Israel. I um I nothing has sickened me more than what happened on October the 7th. Yes, I tell a lie. Something has sickened me more than what happened on the 7th of October, and that's been the world response. We saw a level of barbarity that we haven't seen. Maybe Rwanda, I don't know. But that was pre-civilization, violence and barbarism. That was, I never thought we would be alive to see such a thing. But the response, immediately the response, which was to downplay it, was to attempt to explain it, justify it, attack Israel as though the victim the victims were somehow responsible that to me was unbelievably sick and it seems to me that um, I understand you can have differing political views about what to do with the Palestinian people and Israel. I have my particular views on it, which is staunchly pro-Israel. And I understand and can imagine debating and discussing with people who have a different view. But surrounding Israel are states that have into their constitution genocide. And what we saw... To some extent, being celebrated by people within Australia, New Zealand, the UK, United States, for support for genocide of the Jewish people. I don't think there's another way of putting it. And it came from oftentimes people from the region, but mostly from Workstar university graduates, our own politicians, people in the media, the way the journalists write the material. That response has sickened me, Dane, like nothing else. Because you look back to that horrible time when the state committed genocide on an industrial scale against Jewish people, and you wonder how that could ever happen. And I watch these very nice people who present themselves as nice people, and I say, easily, it can
0: happen. That's how a lot of us are feeling right now, yeah. It's uh, This is well, the, the that hypothetical that we'd talk about of, like, yes. how, could have, how could have people ever fallen for the Nazis? It's like the answer, like, uh, 10 years ago. Uh, I mean, that's a question that would baffle us. Today, it's not baffling at all. Uh, and no. I, I wonder if this regressive identitarian politics that the uh, I, I call them the faux-left because they're not interested in class struggle. Um, no. They're, they're just, they're a, a weird sort of, um, uh, well, they're identitarians, really. Um, ha, has it finally opened the door to a, oh, I mean, you know, almost a type of neo-Nazism?
1: And, like, it goes all the media are culpable. yes the um Helen Clark put a tweet out for her sort of solution and calling for a ceasefire mm. that's disgusting everything she
0: said was so off base I know I had to take a I had to sit down and just first I had to think that I did I just write that and it did make me think that. You know how do people like her get into positions like that when they know so little? Yes, she clearly does not know the the um, conflict. She no, clearly no. does not know the region. She, for for some reason, thinks that the UN is the answer when the UN. They're the cause. <laughs> well, They're the cause. Half the UN are, are, are despots. Who I mean, Bashar. Al Assad, with Iran's backing and, and, and Russia, they killed about five hundred. This is a this is a low estimate. Five hundred thousand uh, Syrians, Arabs. You know, and most of them would have been um, Sunni Muslims.
1: Uh,
0: uh, but, oh, sorry, I've just lost my train of thought. There, you might. No,
1: don't worry. This. We're talking about the UN, but we're talking about how yeah. So let's just let's just. I, I actually think. Oh, no, this is what I wanted to say. Sorry. Please. Oh, yeah.
0: Um, all those. But during that time, I, I don't know. I don't. There, if there were resolutions against Syria, you could have counted them on a hand. Yes. At that same point when he was doing that, there were just hundreds against Israel. That's the UN. And she's she still thinks this is a force for good in, in conflicts like this. It's just
1: it's just unbelievable it is it is incomprehensible to me and um and but chilling and of course the interesting thing is the people that have come out as minimizers at best of genocidal maniacs who are decapitating babies mm are the same people that are causing us, telling us we're genocidal because we don't think men dressed up in frocks should be allowed into our girls' toilets. Like, it's so the scale, or you mispronounce someone's supposed new gender or you don't you don't recognize the gender correctly you're suddenly the worst person and should be fired as a job as a teacher but you can happily teach as John Minto does and say I can I'm not wanting to justify what happened in that attack but I can understand why it happened which funny enough is to justify it yeah. Um, this is a this is extraordinary. And like we're gonna get on to Massey University because this is the point of your email. And I mean, the crazy thing hmm. about Massey University is they banned Don Brash, yeah, former leader of the National Party, former Reserve Bank Governor, for coming to talk about the history of the National Party to a group. They banned him. Because it wouldn't, it would be a health and safety issue because he would be promoting racism. And yet they employ people, as we'll explain through this interview, who supported the genocidal attack on Jewish women and children and civilians. Mm. This is. This this might be something that makes some people I know that it's being written about, that makes people stop and think, hang on, this person like the Green Party, like Chloe Swarbrook, who's all happiness and light, and be kind to everyone, and then the next thing that comes out of their mouth, historically, before this attack, was from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. And you and I know that means wiping out jewish people i i think i I think
0: the greens today and and a lot of people that probably aren't jewish wouldn't necessarily understand that some would Uh, they're trolling the community really and they know they are and they they take pleasure from it when they say things like that and when and when Jews write letters to them and say, you know, I voted for you. Why are you doing this? I think it gives them great pleasure to know really? that they've hurt a Jew. I do. it's dark. It's dark. Well, here, here, here's the here's the thing. She was interviewed and and refused to call Hamas terrorists. Yes. Now. That should have been the easiest thing in the world to say. Mm. Even if you think that Israel is responsible for a lot of hardship, there's a lot of policies, there's a lot of historic stuff that they have really got wrong. You can believe all of that. You can be, you can be, you can believe all of that. I support a Palestinian state, Mm. but you should, but calling. Hamas terrorists for what they did on that day should still be the easiest thing in the world to say. She couldn't say it. Now... Nor can the BBC. No, no. Now, there was a little bit of, when I say a little bit of heat from the media, not really. I mean, I think Ryan Bridges, when she you know pushed back on her a little bit and stuff. You know, in a healthy society, that would be an absolute scandal the media would be knocking her door down, banging her door down to to want to know what's going on in your head. What is going on in your head, Chloe Swaber? But they're not. They're not. I mean, this is, Hamas were, there were little girls hiding under tables and they were spraying
1: machine gun fire under the table to get them. Hmm. They... And, and and the interesting thing is in war the you know that great saying first casualty is truth mm. but this is the most documented crime yes <laughs> every which way it can it sort of is disappearing a bit now because everyone's writing about what Israel might do in response and making a drama over that that mm. the story of what actually was done doesn't get the same reports, therefore in our, it's not in our consciousness. But there's no disputing the facts of what happened on the 7th of October or the broad outline of the facts. You know what I mean? I mean, mm. these people, these children, these babies, these fetuses yeah, were brutally tortured and murdered and paraded. Yeah. Um this is extraordinary. And the lovely Chloe Swarbrook, Sweetness and Light. And not just her, we're picking on her.
0: Marama Davidson was another, but she's got oh, four in this space. Got yeah.
1: Now you say in your email, Dane, I'm talking to Dame Jerro. he's a um writer, uh, actor. And we're discussing his apology and recantation of what he said, which is a wonderful thing to be greatly admired because it was properly done. It wasn't a half baked. I'm sorry if I caused offence. Um, you say in your email that you're a member of the Jewish community. Mm-hmm. Now. I don't know if this is rude or not, but I'm going to ask it. Is As being a member of the Jewish community, does that mean you're a Jew? Yes. I just found it an odd phrase. How does one become a member of the Jewish community? Well, by being Jewish, or, or, I, or, or by converting to Judaism, or so or you can. Yeah, that's the, that's a the delicate thing. I'm dancing around, right? Mm. Um, could I become a Jew? Of
0: course, oh wow! In fact, in fact, there was someone in in the community many years ago um, who said Rodney Hyde is a Jew, and I said, "Is he? I didn't know that."
1: But she liked you and wanted to vote for you, so she claimed you. <laughs> yes, well, I have. So been that always, was that. <laughs> yes, I have always been a passionate.
0: So, so you're in with at least
1: one 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 uh, woman. Yeah, <laughs> I went to Israel in 1981 when I was young and impressionable, on my travels on my own. And I traveled around the Middle East. And at that time, shells were coming in from the Lebanon, and I watched the shells go literally over my head into Israel. I couldn't believe I'd never seen anything like that. Mm -hmm. And people were, where I was, Israelis were sort of sunbathing and picnicking, and there were shells going over their heads because they weren't being aimed at where they were. And I traveled around the Middle East, And I loved the Arab world because I've always been one of my great, when I was a kid, I just loved everything I could read about Lawrence of Arabia, and it was just so romantic, and Arabia was a romantic place to me, and I loved Arabian stories.
0: Uh, I I love the whole aesthetic there too. Yes, but
1: politically, all around Israel was an ocean of darkness and tyranny and hate from the governments. Mm. And I found this thing in Israel where it seemed to me, I, I don't know the history, and people can disagree with me and email me and I'll respect it and understand it, but don't hate on people that you disagree with. Don't try and cancel people you disagree with. Discuss with them. Enlighten them. Debate with them. But I found in Israel this oasis of what I'd call civilized living. And I realized later when I studied better politics and economics that what it was was this fundamental respect of the individual over the collective over the tribe, and how in Israel, like in New Zealand, uh, individuals had a level of freedom and didn't say, because I'm this, I have to do that, or I have to hate this tribe. And I loved it. And ever since that moment, it's to me, it was like, to me, it was no different than West Berlin, sitting inside East Germany, this era, area of what I'd call political sanity amongst this, surrounded by a country of tyranny. Uh, I, could I just say that
0: I, I think the Ottoman Empire has uh, can take a lot of the blame there. Um, yeah, well, maybe. Yeah, well, but let's have, just, I'm just explaining to oh, no, you. No, 100%, but but I, I, I just want to sort of context this for people a lot because. Yeah. What's missing from a lot of these debates is the context, you know, that in terms of the style of colonization that the Turks enforced upon the Arabs, they'd strip a lot of the wealth and bring it back to um, Istanbul, you know, like they weren't, it wasn't like in New Zealand where there was a lot of, you know, the British actually um, put a lot of energy and (laughs) you know, and and wealth would stay here and there were roads and there was a lot of development and so forth. Mm. Um, Even in India, the the railway, I mean, that was a a massive, um, uh, you know, investment in in that, you know, colony. Um, But hundreds and hundreds of years, the Ottomans had that region and didn't really do a lot with it to modernise it. And, of course, when all the religious wars were happening in Europe (laughs) <laughs> on account of the printing press, um, the Ottomans said, "Well, let's not go down that road." And you know, as tough as it was, and, and I have a French side of the family, obviously, uh, that were refugees because because they, they were Huguenots. Um, uh, that that was necessary for development in, yes. in in Europe. Yes, so the Middle East missed out on a lot of that. Because they were colonised by a um, empire that r- died a very slow death as well, yes, um, and uh, and just wasn't putting a lot of energy or or um, uh,
1: resources into that region.
0: Well, so that it, sort of I guess
1: it, you know, I'm guessing that they were a sophisticated empire, but they didn't have that underpinning. Of respect for the individual, that, say, the British colonisers had. Yeah, Before, I mean, the, well,
0: well tar, yeah, tar, tar, tar. Uh, well, it's well, it's interesting because uh, if you look at the the different uh, caliphs over over time, some were incredibly liberal by mm. by by mm. the standards of the day, obviously. Mm. But like in Spain, it's it's interesting. Um, well, because
1: science flourished um well in the Muslim world well
0: uh, yeah well it was actually quite a progressive religion when it first yes. uh, came, came out like uh, I, I guess most religions would have been all, all the religions would have been progressive mm. comparatively like in, in our in our Torah our our book you know a lot of it is like stop throwing your babies on bonfires yes <laughs> don't do that <laughs> anymore so it's, ba- it's it's bad it's bad to do that so uh you know now people may read that and say, oh, there's a lot of very archaic, dusty stuff in there. You don't want to read that book. And it's like, but in its day, it would have been extremely progressive for reasons like that.
1: And and you, you, you come from France. I, I do know? have some French ancestry, yes. Yes. And of course a generation ago, for me it's a generation ago, Europeans were rounding up and I say Europeans because the French were in on it, a lot of them, were rounding up Jewish people in France, entire families, and loading them into trains to be murdered Mm. on an industrial scale. And that's horrific. But, of course, if you're Jewish, you feel it. Yeah. Because it would have been you Mm. and your children and your wife simply for being Jewish. That's not that long ago. No. Now you have that in your mind, I would say, every day.
0: Yep. Yeah. And uh October seventh, of course, is what was the uh greatest single atrocity since World War Two.
1: Yes, where Um, a baby was killed, let's pick on one baby, because her parents were Jewish. Yes. Now, I look at it and I say, oh, my goodness, that's the most disgusting, despicable thing. I didn't think we could live in this world. But I wasn't a target. Mm. You and your family are. Mm.
0: It's different, isn't it? It's different, but I believe that good people are able to slip into the shoes of others. And that's what I'm hearing from you now. Um, Some people just cannot do that. Ironically, (laughs) many of the people that clearly cannot do that would say that they are anti-racist and that they are champions of a of, of equality and well, Helen you know, Clark. Well, exactly, um, but she clearly can't slip into those shoes. Chloe can't slip into those shoes. There's a lot of people that can't. I, I think that what what we're seeing is Jews have. Always existed. There's in a fantasy world for many. You know. Um, there's this idea today that's being in the multi party or another. Uh, you yes, know, the, indeed. This latest version, disgraceful version, I would say, of the multi party. Um, Jews have been called colonisers today even though it's, you know, Jews are indigenous how, to, how, to the Levant. Like, how, how insane. It, it, it's insane. I, I mean, why isn't the temple mount on top of Alexa Mosque, if that's the case? It's the other way around. I mean, that's, that, that's basically end of argument. It's like
1: the mosque is on I know. The top of the temple, not the other way around. Right. Now, that does not. But, of course, but of course dang, in the modern world, with this postmodernism, this wokesterism, this um new politics, which has been bubbling away for decades, you just instead of arguing and debating, you label. And there are go-to labels. Like, I remember in the 80s being declared a Nazi because I, I was a classical liberal. I believed in freedom and free markets and free minds. And I remember being publicly accused of being a Nazi by a very distinguished, clever person. And I was thinking, this is the maddest thing I've ever heard. In fact, I was attending a, a, a meeting in Christchurch uh, based on the work of Frederick Hayek, who wrote The Road to Serfdom against the Nazis? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, these terms are are,
0: are elastic and just ba-
1: banded around transphobe, Nazi, well, racist. Well, well, and of course, now there's a new word, colonizer.
0: Well, well, here's the thing, Rodney. It's like there is no apartheid in Israel, but Israel is always called an apartheid state. Yes. Why? Because people know that this is the most this is the most loathsome term they they could reach for, and they applied it to Jews. It's not true. They're, I mean, well, well, how they justify it is they say people in the West Bank can't vote in Israeli elections. That's a part of it. why would they? Yeah, I mean, this is land that's meant to be for <laughs> for another state. So, and the only reason why there is no state at this point is because. The Abbas, the moderate, refuses to negotiate. His mm. whole strategy politically is refusing to negotiate, right? But like Trump offered him a a, a, um, a settlement um, that they had a settlement plan just before Trump went out of office, he, he refused it without even looking at it. And, and, and then people, of course, in the media said, "Oh, it was quite a bad deal." Well, it was a deal. You sit down and you say, I like that bit. I don't like
1: that bit. But his whole strategy is not to negotiate. Mm. right? And, of course, let's say this to listeners. mm. I am not. I'm open to a debate that I'm wrong about Israel and all the rest of it. And that there are solutions that. I don't see as working. But that can all be discussed and debated, like you and I are discussing and debating. I mean, we agree, which is um, interesting, but like we're not shutting, which is the point of our discussion, we're not shutting down anyone. We're up for the debate. But when you declare someone a racist or a Nazi or a colonizer, irrespective, of the validity of the claim. That's an attempt to avoid the debate. And in my Come experience, up. the only people that want to avoid the debate are those people without an argument.
0: But, but it's worse than avoid the debate. There is no debate. Because there the thing is, no. is that this is a completely uh, um, fantasy world.
1: Yes. So you'd have, and, and of course, Dane, I'm interrupting. I know, um, and I'll be a, I'll get some criticisms, but it's just us bouncing on these ideas as we yeah. as a thought to cure. And of course, without debate, the only thing is violence.
0: That, well, well, that's that's completely right. But but to my point, Rodney, you you it, it, as soon as you've like decolonization is a buzzword right now, right? Yes. Uh, and so it's applied to Jews because they don't like Jews. So they apply it to Jews falsely because that's what reactionaries do. They apply all all these new buzzwords and things that have come through or, or ideas like eugenics and all that stuff through time get used against (laughs) Jews. It's just what reactionaries do, you know? So Mm. colonizer is just the latest one. Yes. And so, Um, and so that's, that's, but but the thing is, how do you argue against it with someone that if that's their, I mean, there are rational people. Look, there are people that may have absorbed that argument who who aren't at that passionate about it, but just want to go along with the with the with the rest of people. You could sit down with them and say this is wrong because, and you could sway those people. But like mm. uh, the the academic Mohan Dutta at uh, Massey, we'll get to him. We'll, well, that's that. well, that's the whole grift. This is the whole so, grift. That's the, whole the grift. So yes, let's get to Mohammed. You're, you're never really going to penetrate that mind. You know what I mean? Because everything in the worldview he has is a complete construct. It's
1: all false. Yes. it's all false. The entire, the entire metaphysic,
0: the the, 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 the whole superstructure of all his thinking is false. Mm in order to uh,
1: vilify Jews. Well, let's, by extension, I'll get to my hand because this is important, but how does this work? Marama Davidson, to pick on her, would attack the State of Israel and Jewish people there as colonisers, and by implication, fit to be fought against violently because they're colonisers, right? Yeah. Now, listeners should sit down because... She would call me and a lot of you colonizers. We're in the same camp. And this is where this is potentially running. She can't justify or reason her anger or her justification for violence. But the implication of all this is that if someone gets labelled and accepted as coloniser, because it's probably a bit more fashionable than saying they're Jewish, and therefore we can attack them. But colonisers in this metaphysic can be attacked, right? This is the point of our discussion. But I'm a coloniser in their worldview. True? True. Well,
0: yeah, but it makes me wonder why people like John Minto, therefore, don't pack
1: up and go back to England or Scotland or Ireland.
0: Or I mean, if he feels that way about… Well, he's
1: a special oh. person, right? They they, they they see themselves as special because well, well, the, they can peer through all of this and they're on the side of the oppressed. Because that's what it's about, isn't it? It's making There's an oppressed people and an oppressor. Mm. And you take the side of the oppressed, and you attack violently the oppressors, and have this overthrow, and this new world. New world gets created out of this. That's that's where it's going. Well, well and, I
0: I think also that if you read like writers like John Pilger, right? Yes. Who, uh is an Australian um uh, journalist who's very uh um what would you far left you know I, I think you'd, you'd you know you'd, mm-hmm. you'd call him sort of like Noam Chomsky and people like that when you listen to him talk um and and he's been very influential people like him and Noam Chomsky you know who, who've been writing for very me, stuff very influential and he his whole rationale and it's there in his writing, is that if someone's prepared to be a suicide bomber, you know, if, if a person is prepared to do that, that must mean that the person they're trying to kill is so evil, because what else would force someone to do that? Yes. But the irony of that is that's a very Western lens. This is actually rationalism. Yes. What he's doing is saying, what would make me do that? Mm. what would make me blow myself? Sa- I would have to be so desperate as a white Australian to do that to other people. I'd, I'd have to be so absolutely desperate that the people that I was doing it to would have to be the most nastiest people on earth. So that's that's the equation that they're doing. It's actually rationalism in a way yeah. because they don't understand uh, the the culture of that region. They don't understand it. They don't understand uh, the um, uh, the religious aspects of the of the um, uh, of the conflict. You know, these are things that are completely foreign to them. They're not inside them. They don't understand them. And and you know, uh, it's it's like even when people say the response, "Why not a ceasefire?" What you know, for for Israel, this is another thing. People, a lot of people don't understand. Israel was built on the ashes of the holocaust. A yes. lot of people there are descendants from holocaust survivors. When when they say never
1: again, they mean it. Oh yes. <laughs> they mean it. Oh, so I love, again, I love I love them for it. And yeah, I mean well, this is this is my simplistic view of the whole Middle East and it is a simplistic view. It's like a a western there are goodies and baddies, and I know that we've all got a little bit of good in and a little bit of evil when it's a fight.
0: Look, look, I'll I'll be critical of Israel just so the viewers know that I can be. Um, I think that there is a bit, there has been a bit of a dance happening there between the extremists and the far right for for many decades. Yeah. Uh. Um, basically, post. Uh, Yitzhak Rabin being assassinated and the and the Intifadas and so forth. They the Intifadas entrench the right in Israel, um, and the extremists want that because they don't necessarily they don't want a peace deal, right?
1: Mm.
0: A lot of people on the extreme right in Israel don't trust a, a, a Palestinian state, so. They have been dance partners to an extent. I'm with. has been an element of that. <laughs> I mean, it's politics, isn't
1: it? Yeah. Oh, well, of course. But let's, um, let's, oh, the other thing I was going to say, Dane, I'm talking to Dane Giroux. He's a, a writer, actor, Jew, and we're talking about free speech. And I guess we'd say free speech and calls to genocide, which is the sharp end of free speech. And of course, the wonderful John Stuart Mill, who wrote, I think, the definitive work on free speech, Why and Its Limits, did have a caveat to free speech about the incitement of violence. But he said, you could give a a public speech calling on violence, and that would be okay. But what you couldn't do is stand outside, say the capitalist's house, and call on an angry man, uh, the angry crowd, to attack the capitalist to kill him. So it was the circumstance and the immediacy of the call, incitement to violence. It wasn't just enough to incite violence. We're talking about free speech and the call and support for violence, and of course, we wouldn't have had river revolutions and change if people couldn't discuss violence and when it was acceptable and they were prepared to do it. Mm. But we get to this sharp end with calls to violence. Now, Dana, one of the things that interests me about this too is I don't think these people understand wealth creation. And they think of wealth in a zero-sum game, and this is the sort of Marxist or sociology or oppressed oppressor construct. And when they see someone rich and successful, they believe that they can only be rich and successful because they've stolen that from someone else. And so the rich and successful are rich and successful at the expense of the poor. You see, this the entire framework of our news reporting is in this respect. This person's got so much wealth, and therefore they're poor in the world. Not understanding that a person that's made a business and succeeded have succeeded precisely because they've provided things for poor people who want it and pay for it. You know what I mean? And I think they look at Israel, a rich and successful society, and they look at Gaza, which is a poor and desperate society, and you and I understand it's a difference in governance and culture, and they say Israel is rich and has made Gaza poor, or the way for Gaza to get rich is not to learn from Israel, about how you produce stuff and make stuff, but to grab stuff. Right. And if, because that's this, this is this Marxist story. You know, these people are poor. Uh, Africa's poor, not because of poor governance. But because British people went there and robbed it. And British people are rich because they robbed Africa. It was it was Lenin's explanation for why Marxism wasn't taken off around the industrialized world. He said they were able to, um, to support their own workers at the expense of the workers in other countries through colonialism. And and then and this is where this negativity about colonialism originated, as I understand it. So this idea of where wealth comes from is quite important. Important and so, would you agree? Would you think that's on a bit of track there?
0: I think there is an element of that uh, with 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 this conflict too. Uh, The 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 leadership. I mean, people never talk about this; they act like it's completely irrelevant. But the Palestinians, sadly, have been cursed with some of the worst leadership. I think I I can really fall. I mean, they've just
1: done nothing for those people. Nothing.
0: and the poor uh, those
1: people, and the uh, poor kids, the, mo- the poor kids being indoctrinated at school. Yeah, I mean, the, the here's how you get your state. You build a
0: state, and then it becomes inevitable. Mm. I mean, that's that's the way you do it. If they had put energy into building a state, then it would have been inevitable. You know, like if, if Gaza had become the Singapore. Of the Middle East, like they, you know, people have often say it had the potential to be, um, then, then the West Bank would have very quickly followed. I mean, it's the, the other thing we've got to remember too is the West Bank is a de facto
1: state now. It's not like yes. it's not, you know, a bus. Yes, this whole two state thing is yeah, a, yeah. a diversion, and and but, and, and Hamas don't want a two state solution. No, 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 they don't.
0: They they want to destroy Israel, and mm. they instantly turned that strip of land into a war state because they are a fascist <laughs> terrorist terror group. That's it. Mm. You know? And, and, like and then, Every definition of the word. And every definition of the word. But do you know what? You know, people like John Minto and others, do you know what they've said after the pogrom? They've said, this is proof we need to bring down all the walls. That's <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> like saying I was drunk and I walked home from a party and got hit by a car because I was so pissed. This is proof I need to drink more booze when I walk home from parties. In the night, I mean, it makes no sense. It's the opposite of what he's saying. You know? And
1: you launch an unholy attack, rendering the entire state of Israel unsafe, and Helen Clark calls for a ceasefire.
0: Yeah, which is a ceasefire, is well, as George Orwell said, you know, um, a famous line, which I think is an important line. The pacifist objectively helps the fascist side. Yes, he said that in one of his writings, and he was a very smart man, man of the left, but, but yes. you know, not a fool.
1: Well, he gods. had observed the left close up. W- well, if if your re- if
0: your um, listeners haven't read Homage to Catalonia, that, yes, that is a fantastic book.
1: Fantastic book. Fantastic writer, too. Yeah, fantastic writer. And fantastic. Um, You know, we have spent an hour on the build-up. <laughs> on the build-up, yeah. I'm talking to Dangero, <laughs> and we're talking free speech and genocide, basically, which is a big, hefty topic this morning. Mm. And we come to an extraordinary scenario which we're exploring where we have a professor at Massey University now. Remember, Massey University is the university that banned Don Brash because he was dangerous. No, he was his his forthcoming speech on the history of the National Party was dangerous. Mm. <laughs> now, Massey has a professor there who's quote. The Dean's Chair of Communications, and his name is Mohan Dutta. Do you think I pronounced that close enough? I I, I think so, yes. Now, in order to do this little build-up, I've got to tell you, this is Mohan's, so he's a Chair in Communication. So you'd think that a Chair in Communication could write clearly and crisply
0: would have communication skills is what you're saying
1: yes and this is what he's written himself about himself he's got a phd and an ma and a bachelor of technology honors and this is what he writes about himself based on his work this is bio on massey university and i Try and understand this. Based on his work on healthcare among indigenous communities, sex workers, migrant workers, farmers and communities living in extreme poverty, Professor Dutta has developed an approach called the Culture Centred Approach. It outlines culturally based participatory participatory strategies of radical democracy for addressing unequal health policies. Based on academic activist collaborations, a culture-centered approach uses fieldwork, resistive strategies for performance and dialogue-based reflexive participation to create entry points for listening to the voices of communities at the global margins. At the core of his research agenda is the activist emphasis on provincializing Eurocentric knowledge structures and de-centering hegemonic Knowledge construction through subaltern participation. He has received over $4 million in funding to work on culture centered projects of health communication, social change, and health advocacy. Now, reading it for the third time, I sort of understood it. But that's not crisp and clear writing for a professor of communication. But more particularly, we know exactly where he's coming from, right, Mm. with that. This is what historically we would have labelled a cultural Marxist, that it's oppressor and oppressed, a postmodernist, a wokesterist, all the things that… Post-truth is a term. Post-truth is is a good word. Funny enough, they turned around and used that on Trump, didn't they? Um, now, imagine this. You're Jewish. You don't even have to be Jewish to feel the madness of this, but I mm. think if you're Jewish and you have been targeted, and there's no other way to put it because I don't think if you're – that level of attack means that you're Jewish anywhere in the world, your sense of safety have diminished. Well, you
0: know, we we have to remember that um, Hamas actually called for an international day of rage.
1: Yes. And at at Sydney Opera House, there was a protest where the crowd was waving Palestinian flags, and they were calling out, "Gas the Jews? Yeah. Sydney. Yep. I know Palestinian people in New Zealand who I follow on Facebook. When I say I know them, I've interacted with them um, through social settings. They would say the same. Very nice people, if you meet them. They would say, guess the Jews. Now, so you're a Jewish person, you don't feel safe. Sydney, they're talking, guess the Jews. There are people with a similar sentiment in New Zealand, sadly. Now, Mohan Dutta tweets that Hamas had, quote, every right to retake the land. So, the killing and the butchering of children, babies, women, men, was a right. Because this was Hamas retaking
0: the land. Well, this is where it started too, because I retweeted that and said, well, this is pretty disgusting. You yes. know, um I was upset. I said this is pretty disgusting. And then he sees my retweet and writes a blog the following day. And and that's where the where he wrote that paragraph that I I think you probably have opened. I'm going to read it. Yeah, I'm going to read the paragraph. Well, yeah, well that's that's that's
1: what's coming next. So Mohan, professor at Massey University, who is paid for by us to teach clever people at university communication writes this, and to be a critic, social conscience of society, quote, I was therefore not surprised to wake up today in the backdrop of what would be described as a powerful exemplar of decolonizing resistance and my expression of solidarity to it to angry and racist tweets by Jerome. Let's unpack that. Yep. So this fellow writes in support of the attack. hmm You criticize him, that he then calls this attack decolonizing resistance, which is a wonderful eufem- euphemism mm. for terrorism. No, oh, no, 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 no. That wasn't terrorism and killing men, women and children. No, it was decolonizing the resistance. It was what I do. It's what I study. It's what I I I actually, my work is, I'm an activist promoting decolonization and oh. healthcare and things. Not oh. only that, this particular decolonizing resistance is an exemplar. Exemplar. An exemplar means the perfect example of it. Mm. This is unbelievable.
0: It, it's horrendous. <laughs> because I mean, it's, you it's, would it's, think
1: you would think that if you thought that, you would keep those dark swords to yourself. Yeah, well, the, yeah.
0: Uh, well, and it, look, if I had if I had those dark thoughts, I'd I'd see a professional about them. Well, you'd shoot yourself. I wouldn't <laughs> be happy with with how my life had
1: turned out. Um. Well, I, it, I I don't like invoking Hitler, right? Because everyone does it, and it's sort of again, it's like this. Um, it, it's easy to reach for Hitler. Yeah, he's easy. yeah, but it's
0: like. He's right there on the shelf.
1: Yeah. Was that was that decolonizing resistance? I don't know. Because what happened here was the killing of Jewish people because they were Jewish. And a professor has said that's in New Zealand, at Massey University, this is the perfect example of decolonization. Of fighting decolonization, of resisting decolonization. The perfect example is the killing of men, women, and children. That is sick beyond belief. Beyond belief. I mean, and, and, and people, he says, yep. "I my expression of solidarity, agreeing 100% with the killing of babies, I agree 100% with the killing of babies. Huh, I did that. But, but the problem
0: he's he's highlighting in the tweet is that a Jew would be upset by that yes how dare a Jew be upset by well the, not only the fact that. that I I I I am cheerleading I have pom-poms out for uh babies and children being mowed down with machine guns and burnt alive what, what why would he have a problem with that or oh, and the one thing I want to add you know how he, he wrote in racist tweets there's no yeah. racist tweet of course he just not. threw that he just threw that in there the, the, do you know what the racism would be for him you being Jewish, well, that I did, I did disagree with him. That's right. That that was racist.
1: Because I feel bad because we don't have him on, but we can't have him on. Oh, well, because- he won't. He won't. Do it no, because it'd get pulled and, apart. And it would just be this horrible, angry things. But we can analyze mm. his argument because he's provided. Well, we can analyze his words. Yeah, and discuss them and give him even the benefit of some doubt so here he is glorifying the killing of people and and it's an exemplar and someone who calls him out on it is angry and racist Mm. that's like saying um, (laughs) look I think listeners get it Um, it's absurd yeah it's, it's just, absurd, and so then you took the Twitter. I did because I can imagine. I mean, I would when if I'd read it before you pointed it out to me, I would be writing to the professor to the to to uh, Massey University. I wrote to them when they banned Don Brash and said, "What do you think you're doing just because I vented?" And I would vent saying, "What can you? What? Why on earth?" Do you have a person like this teaching students representing a university which used to present themselves not as some medieval institution but as the very pinnacle of the Enlightenment talking like this? which is a
0: good question, right? Yeah, and that's what I did. I tweeted Massey University. I tagged them in the tweet, and I said exactly that. Um, and then I got a bit of negative feedback from people saying, hang on a minute, aren't you the free speech guy? Aren't you the former uh, board member of the free speech union? Uh, what are you doing? And, and I, you know, I
1: uh justified it to them I I, I came up were with... these people that uh, approached you were they friend or foe in the argument you think were they free speeches or were they people who were trying to denigrate you and doing a whataboutism?
0: Oh, 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 some of them w- were denigrating Phil Matthews from the stuff reporter uh journalist he uh, you know I, I I'd, I'd be way more generous to him. He said, hang on a minute. And, um, and and he's the one I actually gave a response to and, uh, and said, oh no, what I'm really doing is, you know, um, but look, I'll, I'll be honest, Rodney, I walked away from the computer and, you know, I had a, I have to be honest here. I was sick in my heart. I was furious. I was sad. I was emotional. And I had a lot of, I mean, I should have had a boxing bag. I should have just gone to town on a on a, on a punching bag. I mean, to, to be honest with you, but there was nowhere for the, for these feelings to go, Rodney. And so there were nowhere that, for these feelings to go. So I called Massey University, and I spoke to to someone and said, "I'm very upset by this." What? And I didn't even know what I was asking the person. I was just in a complete spin. And I and I said I, I don't know what to do. And the person said, call this person, email this person. And they were very. Look, I can't take a side. I got I was like, okay, okay. And then after that, I I, I spoke to Jonathan at the Free Speech Union. Jonathan. Ailing. Jonathan
1: Ailing. Yep. What a wonderfully, what a wonderfully intelligent, articulate, person he is.
0: A very very a lovely young man. And uh, I spoke to him and said again, because uh, this is one thing I'm good at to be to, to be uh, to give myself credit. I'm the guy that does say I'm lost. I'm the guy that will call you and say, I really don't know what to do. I, I, I don't know. I'm lost. I'm scared. All these things. That's something I've I've been able to do in my life, which I think has always helped me. I'm not the person that bottles it up. You know, I'll just say, I need answers. Have you got any for me? You know, I I, I, I do that to people. Um, and, and, and I said to him, I don't even know what I'm asking of you, but this is what's happened. And he said, well, yep. Because by that stage, I knew that I'd compromise my own values on free speech. But in the discussion I had with Jonathan, uh, you know, a lot came out. I was able to sort of, he was able to help me shape my feelings. And here's the thing. Uh, Censorship feels natural. Yes. You know, when, when someone says something that horrendous, of course there's a human instinct just to remove them, to shut them up, to quiet them down. Like that's completely natural. And that's why some people probably Instinctively feel, and I think I write this in the piece, that that hate speech laws make sense. Because instinctively, uh, you want to be able to shut those people down. You know, they've hurt you. Someone has hurt you. I want to hurt them back. I want to take something off them. You know? It's it's but but that's an emotional response. That's an emotional response, that's a knee-jerk response. And working through that piece subsequently, I was able to sort of admit that I'd really got that wrong, because we have a big problem right now with anti-Semitism. People aren't talking about it. The media isn't prepared to dive into it. And, and the media are important to a free speech, to, to free speech. And this is where we are in a little, and this is, so God bless you for what you're doing and, and um, and some other platforms that are emerging because the reality is we can expose, you know, we need to expose these people is is what I'm saying. Mm. But the media, that's sort of their job too. They need to help us there. They need to put these arguments Out there, but they don't like doing it because I think politically they sort of vote in the same direction and don't really want to rock that boat. I think it's just purely partisan stuff. They don't want to throw certain politicians under the bus. They don't want to do that, you know? So, and they don't, or they just don't take it seriously. I mean, I'm not a mind reader, I'll never know fully what's going on but they don't seem to think there's
1: as big an issue as as we all feel. Um, Here's here's what you write, Dane, Mm -hmm. and it's so wonderful uh, as a thought on free speech. I want to read the whole thing. It's three or four paragraphs, short paragraphs. You write, Dutta feels empowered to speak due to our liberal democratic system. And because he does speak, we can properly diagnose his worldview and start to address it. Dutta spreads his anti Semitisms under the banner of decolonization, a vogue term in progressive academia. But few, if any of us, know what it really means. Well, for Dutta, it seems to mean the murdering of Jews. I actually would say it means the murdering of Jews. (laughs) How many academics agree with Dutta's interpretation of decolonization? Is this position the norm now, or is he a complete outlier? How would we ever know if we silence such academics and make them share their thoughts at a whisper level Spoken only in sealed off ideological bubbles. How could people develop powerful counter-arguments to his and other views without exposure to them, fortified by debate and direct engagement? What I needed to do was to amplify his claims, not try to silence them so that we can collectively wrestle with the totality of his worldview, to fully understand them and to produce counter-arguments that can be readily available to any of the young learners data may be seeking to influence. That's wonderful. Thank you. And so true. And that's what John Stuart Mill wrote. Not, of course, about data and anti-Semitism. But we can't allow wrong views and dangerous views, because his views are wrong and dangerous, to fester in the darkness. Mm. We need them out in the sunlight where they'll be disinfected yeah and of course that is the liberal democratic system. We have our parliaments, we have free speech, because we know these horrid views survive in the Gaza mm. because there is no free speech there. Mm. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because here you are, oh, well, it's amazing a member of the Liberal Democratic Society, an advocate for free speech, a council member of the Free Speech Union, and yet your first impulse was to shut down and censor. Yes. But... You are a rare person because you didn't double down when it was pointed out to you that you were being hypocritical. Mm. Because you see. I knew instantly
0: when it was pointed out to me what was going on and was very, very disappointed in myself
1: well, you're still growing and learning like we all are, but you're doing it faster than most of us because you can readily admit your mistakes because you could have easily said, look, I understand free speech better than most, but I draw the line at advocating for genocide. Yeah. Like, my instinct, by the way, (laughs) was to... Have the police round up those maniacs at the Sydney Opera House calling out gas the Jews? Absolutely. I wanted them rounded up and arrested because I'd watched the same police round up and arrest people for uh, putting up on Facebook that they didn't agree with the COVID lockdown. And they would get arrested or they didn't agree with mandates for the vaccine. They would get arrested by the police. And I was saying, hang on, here are people calling for gassing Jews, lock them up, arrest them up. And in fact, the police were there protecting them or holding away, you know, anyone that might walk down there with a Jewish and Israeli flag. Now, but, but 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 Rodney,
0: if I can just jump in, this is ex- this is exactly why hate speech laws and state cens- censorship is a fraud, because yes. it cannot. It can only laws like this can only violate equality and democracy. That's right. Now, the example of that is Don Brash. Now, people love to paint Don Brash as a far-right activist that he's got to stir people up. He's a gentle older man, right? He's he's, he's never had that populist sort of spirit about him. He's, he's, He's just a very polite older man, right, with a certain set of views that you can agree with or disagree with. But the same people who believe in censorship at that campus saw more fault in him than they would have in Dutta. Yes. Why is that? Because censorship is not about keeping certain people safe that need to be kept safe or anything like that, or, or creating cohesion. It's not about that. It's about power. It's about criminalizing certain views. Right. And and, and it, it, uh, what's extraordinary here is Golaus Garaman, uh, Chloe, Marama, all these people, the Maori Party, all these people support censorship. They all support censorship. They are on board with the hate speech laws. They, the Greens were disappointed when uh, Christopher Hipkins um, uh, parked them because he knew they were po- political poison, you know. They were very upset. Oh, we'll be back. They'll come back. We need them. We need them. And yet, they've had nothing to say about any of this stuff. They've had nothing to say about any of the stuff we've seen. There was a young woman in the protest, um uh, in in pro-Palestinian protest in, in Auckland walking down with a with a sign of of Jew uh, uh the which is a star of David, thrown in a rubbish bin saying, keep the world clean. Nothing to say about that.
1: No, now wasn't if that there, was wasn't that it shocking, was shocking, it,
0: it, it, shocking was, it was horrendous, but they had nothing to say about it. Now, why is that? It's because the cens- censorship was never about anti racism, it was never about
1: that, it was never about that, it was about control, it was hey, about shutting control. down their political opponents. Yeah, now. Interestingly, if there are people that think that we should be guessing Jews, Mm. it's quite handy to know who they are. It's very important. Uh,
0: We we had when I was on the Free Speech Union, we had access to the 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 Christchurch terrorist manifesto. Right, Mm -hmm. we had an exemption; we could read it because we were going to we were deciding whether to apply to have the ban lifted or not. Right. Like and we were obliged to do that because we're a free speech union. So I went in, you know, to the office, uh, it was kept in safe, and I sat down and I read the whole thing. Um, now what I found really interesting about about that manifesto is that there was a lot of argument afterwards about what was in it from people that didn't know what was in it, right? So if you were on the far left, he was a right-wing, nut job, neo-Nazi, and he was on the right. If you were on the right, uh, he was an environmentalist. And uh, he's actually admired China, and he was a socialist, actually, and all of this stuff. So what's interesting there is the fact it was banned didn't mean people st- stopped talking about the ideas it meant that people sort of filled in the blanks themselves yes um and would have these huge arguments i'd observe with you know people on the far left and right going at going at each other no it said this it said that none of them knew so no one could make an informed decision about what was in there and and, and you know gold was uh not not long afterwards, was on um, Three Nation talking about the manifesto, saying he wanted this, he wanted that, he wanted this. I'd read it by that stage, and it was like, well, you're not, you're not telling the full story here. She was using it for political purposes, really. Um, she was using it to bang paint a, drum a narrative, through. paint her story. Well, yeah, yeah, the, to 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 bang a a drum, she would have been banging any anyhow,
1: you know. Um, so, do you agree it should have been censored?
0: I believe that I think where we came to um, was that there were certain uh, calls for incitement, direct, which could have should have been redacted. You know, maybe if we'd redacted them, and then the manifesto was out there, we would have had a we would have been in a, ve- a way better place, I think, to really. as a a society, to really know what went on there and where that came from. I think it would have been um, way better. Because, you know, the the spin-off, all these very middle-class, you know, sort of publications, as soon as that happened, it's like, well, this is proof there's white supremacy in New Zealand, even though he was an an import and all that stuff. There was a a lot of people were just... Um, ghouls, I call them ghouls. They they were using the atrocity
1: for oh well. Their own political the, game. We have these university outfits saying that white supremacy is on the rise, and there are white supremacists everywhere, and there were that name that can't be pronounced in every street, ready to pounce.
0: Well, it, it all started after, after the the attack,
1: and he, and he was alone. He was clearly a loner, and 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 he was a nut. And, and, and was all, I think if you read it, you'd realise he was a nut.
0: And he was all over the map. Yeah. Like he was hard to, I mean, it was just a very singular, strange, uh,
1: yeah. horrendous sort of character. Dane, I feel similarly about the prohibition on Holocaust denial. Well, so do I. I think we've done a terrible thing and saying it's unlawful to discuss debate where the Jews were gassed on an industrial scale in World War II, and what the numbers actually were, historically, has driven that debate underground and opened it up for conspiracy theory. Yes, and, and I come at it
0: from a a different point of view too, and that is that if you don't feel you have to debate, and and this is this is why wokeness will eventually die, Rodney, because they're never tested, they're yeah. never tested, and so. Eventually, you know, there are people like yourself, like myself. There's Joe Rogan. There's all sorts of people around the internet and everything who are having the debate and and pushing, 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 and coming up with our arguments and everything. They're doing that while there's this little sealed off island that thinks it can preserve itself by not engaging and and sense yeah. in trying to censor everyone around them, it, it, it and, and or ignoring or ignoring but, them. That's right. But the thing is with Holocaust, the thing with I mean the response to October the 7th to me is says loud and clear Holocaust education is important yes but mm-hmm. we will lose our knowledge of what happened if we're not debating it if we're not having to marshal our thoughts and our facts and challenge people like that on occasion mm, so I agree. So there's an idea that that this is a, sorry, uh, Rodney, there's a a Jewish um, uh, rabbi from the um, Middle Ages, Rashi, who's one of our top rabbis. He does commentaries and that. He says people sharpen themselves on each other like a sword, like swords on stones, right? So what he's saying there is what makes your mind sharp? What makes my mind sharp? The fact that I'm in opposition to an, to someone, that's what makes us sharper and more efficient as people, right? Mm. Now, if if David Irving or someone like that came in the country and was doing a massive tour, we would mobilize as a community. Yes, yes. there would be there would be Jews that want that would want him banned. Um, incidentally, the Greens actually wanted him to come here. Keith Locke and all those guys back in there. Yeah. yeah, and good on them. I know where they were coming from because back then the left was very free speech. I but, was wanting him to come here. Yeah, yeah. So, but the thing is that you know there would be articles, there would be renewed interest in Holocaust education. That's right. That's the, That's the thing. But if we if we don't have to confront these people, why why have it in our heads? We can just let yeah. it all disappear. Yeah. You know, the, the, this is another reason
1: why it's important. And, be- of course, if you can ban David Irving from coming to New Zealand, you can ban Kelly J. Keen. Well, that's right, yeah. Um, if you can ban Kelly J. Keane, you can ban Don Brash.
0: And could I just say something on, on Kelly J.? Um Yeah and and you know some listeners might not appreciate this i'm not anti her or anything like that but just as an argument um she's a product of of people denying the debate you know the rock star provocateur you know single sort of character who's traveling the world doing her thing we're only we only you know people like her can only exist in a world where debate is limited that's right so if you think she's provocative and unhelpful, well, you created her. Yes. <laughs> if people were able to have the debate anyway, there'd be no oxygen for provocateurs and people like that, or the Stefan news and people like that. Yeah, I no agree. For them. You know, so you cre- you know, the, the, the debate would be a lot more civil and constructive, right? And most people want to find a middle ground. Most people aren't all or nothing. I don't think that's the way humanity is natural, especially in the West. I mean, in other places, they are all or nothing. But we don't tend to be all or nothing, you know? Um, People would seek accommodations. But she's sort of the product of no debate, you know?
1: That's how you get these provocateurs. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because um, what makes her famous is her bravery. Well, she's an outlaw. I mean, they've they, yeah. literally, they're, literally. Yeah. And I mean, um, she's a rock star for the, for that reason. Yes. Because to stand up and let women speak, <laughs> which is <laughs> astonishing. Yeah. And say, I'm not comfortable with a man with, you know, the male bits stripping off in front of my 12-year-old girl in the changing sheets. To allow that to happen now is to be Nazi-adjacent and genocidal. And so most people can't be bothered with the hassle. And, of course, to open yourself up as we saw the violence. They have absolutely made her because – And the media have made her, and the politicians have made her. Um, And as you say, take away the threat to her for deplatforming, for calling her names, for attacking her, for violently attacking her, attacking her not just with words, but attacking her. Take all that away, and we could all do it. But we can't because we'd lose our jobs. We can't because we've got our kids at school, we don't want to have all the hassle. That's the terrible state that we've got ourselves in. And and I, I had a wonderful lady on, Penny Marie, and her thing was let kids be kids with this gender ideology. And I said to her, How do you think? All these lovely teachers and corporations go along with this stuff. Because clearly there must be a lot of people in the organisation thinking, "Mm, this is a bit nutty, isn't it? She says, well, the difficulty is is we've got ourselves into a position where we put policies before people.
0: Yeah, that's the technocrats, isn't it? That's the social yeah. engineering side. I'm of sitting.
1: The- I'm sitting in a school, and this is what the Ministry of Education sees. And if I question it, my job will become problematic, and they won't fire me, but I'll just become non-conforming, and it's too much. Yeah. So we bite our tongues. But- There's a huge amount of. I find myself. I've got to tell you, Dane, I love Radley Check Radio. I've done quite a bit of radio as guests and whatnot, and I was on the platform for a while. Yep. I used to write a lot of opinion pieces. I did it, you know, before I was a politician for the National Business Review, and then I was for the Herald. And then over time, I did that for years and never had an editor... Do anything else but edit a grammatical mistake or make a sentence crisper. And then it started. Oh, you've done a lot on the treaty lately. So just stop the treaty. Oh, I'm a bit sick of climate change and, the, and ETS or, you know. Mm. And I got deplatformed off everything. And then I was on the platform station mm. and I hated it because it was like being a politician again, where you knew that everything you would say could be taken the wrong way, taken out of context, twisted, Mm. and then used against you, and the station that was giving you your voice. So I would be sitting there, unable to have, like we're hearing, a free and easy conversation. I couldn't say that, I was denied free speech. Boy, I could hardly talk because I was so checking and calculating. And I've come on the reality check radio, and it's just this wave. It's a balm for the mind. It's this wave of freedom where you and I can banter. You're not going to get upset. No, no. And
0: you know how earlier in the interview I talked about how tired people get when they're lying to themselves, right? Mm. It's like if you talk to addicts, alcoholics and um, uh, gambling addicts and all these people, a lot of them will tell you, you know, once they've got through the other side, it'll be like, you know, what was it like? It's like, I was tired all the time because I had to lie so often to cover my tracks. I was just exhausted constantly because my brain was always trying to sort of fabricate where I'd been, what I'd done, where I, I to me, it's a similar thing. It's like, if you're living in, if you have to completely shield yourself with with lies and pretend you're going along with things that which you really completely disagree with, it's just not good for your
1: soul. No. It, it, it's, that's why you had to come clean on your tweet and your behavior. Y- y- yes. Yes, that's exactly right. I couldn't uh, because, yeah,
0: I mean, I, I could have, look, I could have bullshitted and then got through it. And then, you know, people would have brought it up from time to time and I could have said, oh, whatever. You know, I'm sticking to my story. No. And do and you know what? I, I bought my dignity back by writing that piece. Oh, well, I think you're wonderful. I, I, I that was the feeling I had. I could have burst into tears for, for <laughs> happiness actually, because isn't that lovely? Well, I felt like I had got my dignity back just by saying I got it wrong, but I get it. You know, that's the other thing. I'm sort of conceding to the other side in a little bit as well. I'm saying. I get why you think this is a good idea.
1: But here's the thing. I think you and I believe, I'm putting thoughts in your head, disagree with me, you and I believe in an objective world outside of us, that the world isn't a construct in our own heads, a fantasy that we can make. It's a real world that exists independent of us. Mm. We believe in an objective world that is not a social construct, mm. that there is out there a real world, but we accept that our individual minds interpret the world and can get it wrong. And therefore, we have to be open to the possibility that we're not seeing things clearly or or truthfully and we can understand that we can have a social constructs that we inherit culturally that can lead us astray and that's why criticism and testing of ideas against reality is so important that's why science is so wonderful because it mm. it tests ideas not against what you and i think is true but tests our ideas against an objective reality of a physical world that we're mm. inhabiting mm. now i think you and i would also agree that there are objective moral principles that we can debate and discuss they're not tested against a physical world because they're rules that the human mind constructs for behaviour. But we can test them for their logical consistency, for their implications, and for what they mean for society. can not we? Yeah. And so we have quickly developed this idea that, say... Respecting another person is a very good principle to have. Respecting another person to have the ideas that they have is a very good idea. Believing and being truthful is a very sound proposition. And then you can explore, are there any circumstances where it's okay to tell a lie? You could be the... You could be, to pick on an opposite example, you could be the family that's hiding Anne Frank. Mm. And when the Nazis come in and saying, are you hiding any Jews in the attic? You lie and say no. Yeah. <laughs> that's a totally un- understandable lie, right? It's not like, like, oh, look, I've got to tell the truth. There's a few of them up there. Now, we can do all that, but our opponents... Don't believe in an objective reality or any principles of behavior that are enduring and ageless. Because, like you say, they live in a fantasy world that their mind constructs, and that they see a world where even the language and the words. And the argument that you and I are using is a tool of the oppressor to keep down the oppressed. And so they don't agree. That's why they can't debate or argue with us, because they don't agree with argument and debate. Ultimately, Marimar Davidson and Golruz Gamaram don't believe in parliament. Because they don't believe, they just must see debate and argument and all the rest of it as a tool used by the oppressors to keep down the oppressed.
0: Yeah, it's a flattening out, isn't it? It's that whole power imbalance narrative. And yes. a lot of smart people believe it. I think Noam Chomsky is a person that really mainstreamed
1: it. He's almost like the godfather of a lot of this. Yes, story. he is. And he's done so much good work on language. He he has done, and a lot of damage great too. insightful, in things like TV and advertising, and his work on grammar is top notch. Mm. But then when he strays into politics,
0: it's. I mean, he can write a, and, and you've seen it here. It's it's like with the with the Israel Palestine conflict. People yes. can can they can construct whole narratives without even mentioning Hamas or the the failed peace deals and all that kind of stuff because you know they don't have power so why bring them up? They're not relevant. It's not relevant. But of course it's all relevant. And the other thing with power too and power the the power imbalance narrative, power is in flux all the time, right? I, I remember this is this is a funny story. I had a table, right? For a um uh a TV show that I was developing. And it was a big TV show, actually, like you know, one of the big five million dollar jobbies. And um, I'd assembled a table, so I had a, and I did this on purpose. I, I got a quite a woke white female writer in, and I had a, a Maori friend of mine from South Auckland there. I had a Samoan guy. I because I needed, I wanted to walk a very fine line with this with my lead character. I wanted him to offend everyone basically, so I wanted to get everyone in the room so they could all be pissed off at this character, right? And this woman started talking about how uh, you can't be racist if you're a person of colour because of a power imbalance. Yes. And my Māori friend, who is, you know, a researcher, and, you know, he, he's quite connected. He knows lots of people in the in the underworld and has, has been able to sort of secure you know, interviews and things like that for production companies because of his contacts. He challenged her. He said, well, what do you mean by that? And of course, you know, she was on her heels a bit because here's a Maori guy from South Auckland saying, I disagree with you on this, right? And she said, oh, well, you know, power imbalance. And he said, okay, there's a businessman, right? It's two in the morning. There's a businessman at a taxi stop, right? He makes $250,000 a year. Now there's a mobster at the taxi stop with him. No one else is around, and this guy's got I hate ya tattooed across his head. Who has the power? Yeah. <laughs> and she said, well, you know. And he's like, well, no, that's the point. Power is always in flux. You may have power um in one, in one room and then walk into the foyer and there's someone else there, and suddenly all your power's gone. Because... Okay. There's another person, you know what I'm you you know what I'm saying? It changes constantly, and what we're seeing in the Israel-Palestine conflict is a good example of that, yes. Because
1: who is the aggressor when you have a little girl in her home hiding under the table? Who had the power there? With a man pointing a gun at her, yeah, who pulled the trigger. Exactly.
0: So so that that's a good example, and the other thing is. That for all the military might Israel may have, right and needs, um, you see, a, you see that display what we saw in Sydney, gas the Jews at a rally. Do Jews have power in that scenario? Mm. I mean, the, well, the propaganda war seems to—it's it, not fully the, on board here, but I think, I think in many ways they they are winning the propaganda war.
1: Yeah. So where's so who's got They have they have won the propaganda war on a scale that I can't conceive. Um and you know, it's not much of a stretch to say Jews today, whites tomorrow. Well, I I I think
0: yeah, I mean it's 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 been a very tough time for our
1: community. We're not we're not very happy. Tough. Um Dane, uh, um it's been probably our most my most challenging interview, even though we agreed on everything. Because it's a very challenging topic. Yeah. And a very emotional topic for you. Very, yeah. And I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. And I think you're wonderful for your knowledge and insight. And you're a, you're a lesson to us all in your ability to admit you're quickly admit your error, not because the political pressure was piling on, but because simply you were wrong. Yeah. No, thank you. And Professor Dutta, I see his blog post has been taken down, but think twice before going to Massey University particularly if you're going to do communications. Think twice before sending your children there because I would not want to expose my family to go along to learn from a person who teaches this stuff, ever. He can have his free speech. He can chat away. Messy can employ him, won't be turning up. And isn't that the answer? Yes. I mean,
0: I, I think there is a whole other debate to be had about academic standards, for sure. Yes. Um, that's a, that's another thing. And I'm not an academic. I left school at 14,
1: 15. So oh, really? I, yeah. Oh, good I, for you. I was one of those. So it's... Oh, well, you're such a... Gosh, we could have such a talk about your life because you're so well read and so thoughtful and so well, and you're a writer. Isn't that something? Dan, we've got to go. Yeah. Um, I can't. I, I do I do thank you for coming on the show enormously. And for me. I can say publicly on my show, you are totally in my heart, along with all the Jewish people of the world. Thank you. And I feel very sorry for the state that we have allowed ourselves to slip into, where people can be in the media and in our streets so quick and ready to condone the most vile violence on a peaceful people. Yes, and right. I f- fully respect mm. the Israeli government's ability to defend itself. And yes, that does mean going into the Gaza Strip. And sadly, we know that Hamas don't care for their own citizens. Mm. It's a very, very sad situation. And it's tough for any humanitarian to have to look at that and understand what has to happen. But we saw it. In World War II and I think the analogy is a good one. The only thing I would say is the barbarity is at another level. Yeah, you didn't see, I think, Nazis desecrating a corpse.
0: Well, who knows? In the heat of a battle, and
1: a—I mean, and who 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 knows? A young woman. Children spitting on it. I suppose it was a similar impulse. I'm sure. I guess on the Eastern Front and
0: I, I would I would say they're on a par. They're on a par. Yeah, I would say that they're on a par. Uh,
1: how and, do you? I guess how do you? You get to a level of evil where it's and, very hard to sort of yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's not like numbers even, is it? It's like oh, this this. Worse than that, or this is and this whole nonsense about a proportionate response. Oh my god, what are they talking about? You do what you need to do to ensure people's safety and your safety. You know, you don't, you know, this. Oh, god, where do we start? I'm probably in trouble with people, and I'm happy to have the debate. And if someone wants to come on and debate with me and put the other side, um, I would welcome it and I'll be as respectful to them as I am of you. Could I say one thing
0: without um, opening up another half hour of conversation, because we could probably talk for eight hours um, and then do the whole thing again the next day. Um, When I was a young man, about 18 or something, I was a bit of a hellraiser. But even then, I lamented history not being taught in schools the way it used to be. Um, I think history is really important because it opens us up to cultures, different cultures. It opens us up to characters. It's storytelling. It's narrative. And there are counter narratives to it. So it's not just one story. There There are other stories you can come at it with and everything. I always thought, even when I was young and more interested in boozing and womanizing, I knew then. The losing
1: history was not a good move. Um or, or, or having history created. Explain that. Well, we now create a history. So yeah. history gets rewritten. Well, because because we don't have that anchor. Yeah. No, and we don't have a sense that there is objective fact. so we have a history now of the treaty which is completely false that's being taught in our schools it's objectively false and that's worse than history you know you can imagine well you think of what the and kids get taught you know or, or, or what
0: russian i mean I, yeah. I i remember having a talk i was talking to this russian young Ru- russian woman and um i, I brought up the the uh, Russian Sino War when Japan yes. gave them a bloody nose in about 1902 or five. They wouldn't
1: know what it was. She said never happened. <laughs> there you go. We're with Dan Gerard. What a one! I'd like to have a uh, Dan. Dan. Dane right. Gerard. I would love to have you back, Dane. Um, we'll we'll get uh, some good feedback. I'm happy to have people on with the counter view of the situation. Um it's not something that I can solve or see a way forward or or whatever, and uh, I'm no expert. I'd like to express my views clearly and concisely because that's how I get challenged and how I learn and how I can better understand things. I never suggest for a moment that I've got the right view of the world. I'm just telling you how I'm seeing it. We're having that debate. And we're having that discussion. Danger, Gerard, 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 wonderful to have you on. Thank you for a deep and challenging conversation. I've really enjoyed it. And bless you because we're so lucky to have people like you speaking up, speaking out and um, helping us understand ourselves and our world better. You're on Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with uh, Rodney Hyde. Remember, on this challenging interview, you can text me 2057, email me, inbox at realitycheck.radio. These are challenging times. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of the community. Thank you for having me with you and exploring this issue, even if you may disagree. Even if you may find that, oh, I don't agree with that, that's what we're here for, to have that debate and have that discussion because it's not happening anywhere else that I know of, Twitter and the other place here in New Zealand is Radio. So thank you for being part of our family and part of our community where we can discuss and disagree and debate and learn from each other. Thank you.
0: This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde.
1: Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m.